Welcome to Whatcom New Life Assembly's Sermon of the Week, where, as always, it's all good news. For more info on how to get involved in our church or to partner with our ministry, please visit us at whatcomnewlifeassembly.org. Amen. So, instead of our normal offertory, uh, I thought it would be a good idea to help us be cheerful givers. Uh, my wife brought some statistics yesterday at our ladies' tea, which she did an amazing job putting together, and thank you everybody who helped out with that. But I thought these statistics, if you're a mom, might help you feel better about your own situation. So uh, let's start with the most prolific mother. This means the lady on planet Earth in recorded history who had the most kids ever. And what number do you think? If you were here yesterday, don't you dare yell it out. Somebody yell out a number. What do you think the most kids? 47. 47. Wow. That's it. 60. All right. All right. We're getting closer. I'll tell you what the, what the, in 1707, between 1707 and 1782, they don't even give her name. She was from Russia. She had, gave birth to 69 children. Hallelujah for your three, right? Here we go. There were 27 uh, just single births. There were 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. Lord, would you just bless this congregation with that? No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. The moms are going to run out of here so fast. All right. So, you know what? And all of that was before Mother's Day cards were even invented. So, this lady, she received her reward in heaven. All right. Oldest mother, the, person, the, the lady on recorded history who gave birth at the oldest age um, in 1994, this happened, in Italy, she was 63 years old. So ladies, there's still hope. All right. Last but not least, before we, before we move on, the heaviest newborn, the baby who weighed the most at birth in recorded history, was also in Italy in 1955. He weighed 22 pounds, 8 ounces. Mamma mia, that's a big baby. <laughs> Thank you. He, he grew up to invent the pizza later. That is not true. And we're going to pray as we turn to the Word of God. Father, we love you. Father, thank you for laughter. I thank you for moms. Father, I thank you that you are good. So, Father, we now turn our attention to your word that is sharper than any double-edged sword. Father, we bow our hearts, our thoughts, our opinions before the word of God. Father, would you change us? Would you transform us from glory to glory? Lord, as we look to you, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we began a series called Don't, uh, excuse me, we are stu- I'm going to speak in tongues the whole time. I need the interpretation. <laughs> Go ahead and throw up my slide there, son. Uh, don't pray your way to poverty. What this isn't, This isn't a message about stop praying and just go get her done on your own because we're awesome people. No, that's not what it is. It is about how we, as men and women of faith, can pray the hugest prayers for the seemingly impossible things in the most desperate situations, all the while being joyful, even blissful, in circumstance. I know that's a tall order, but, but, but as we pointed out last week, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. 
And if I only understand the joy of the Lord when everything is skipping through the meadows, I'm wasting joy. I desperately need it in the dark times, in the hard times. And so the secret, and, and more than that, my prayer life will take off if I learn the secret to finding the, the, the peace and the joy in the midst of anything. My prayers take on a whole new meaning. If I am the person, we talked about tantrums. I showed a video. None of your kids have ever thrown a tantrum in public, I'm sure. My children never did, I'm sure. And it, but this is, show my, this next picture, if you throw this. This is the picture of a kid in the store throwing a tantrum, or wherever. Why do we throw tantrums? We throw tantrums because we feel powerless. And the person we believe has the power to make something happen refuses to do it. And clearly, we know better than that. Now, I understand we expect that out of one-year-olds, two-year-olds, 13-year-olds, but we don't expect that. Uh, we don't expect it out of 13-year-olds. But church, if, if, first of all, if we don't teach our kids to come out of the tantrum era, they just become more sophisticated into their tantrums, right? If we don't leave tantrum Christianity, where when things don't go the way I pictured them going, I fall on the floor and kick and scream, my tantrums just get more sophisticated. Many of us, we try to manipulate God, and we call it prayer, right? That's this prayer. Oh, God, if you will do this for me, I'll do anything for you. I will be an, a missionary in darkest Peru if you will just give me a million dollars. Right? Okay, we make fun. But we do this and say, oh, get me out of this, God, and I'll love you forever, I promise. Okay, I got you out of it. All right, let's get out. And I completely abandoned him. That's a temper tantrum that's just more sophisticated. We also take it to this level. Oh, I declare a holy fast. And we're going to fast until I have enough money to pay my bill. That's not a fast. That's a sophisticated temper tantrum that we call holy. That's not even the purpose of a fast. That has nothing to do with fasting. That's like my cousin that I told you about last week. When she was, when she was an infant, she, and she didn't get her way, she had the way of, and she would hold her breath until she literally passed out. And we call it a fast. I'm not going to eat. Well, you're going to starve. The purpose of a fast is to deny your flesh to a point where now I can lean in and see who God is and lean into his presence, not to manipulate him to get what I want, but to find out what he wants, to find out who he is. Because I get to this point in my fast where I'm like, you know, initially your, your flesh is screaming out, you need a cheeseburger, you need anything, eat a marshmallow, do something. And, and as you deny that craving of the flesh, you start to lean into, okay, there is more to life than just giving into every whim of pleasure that I want. That's the true fast. And I start to move, move into a place, God, what do you want? Who are you? What are you saying? And it's an amazing time. Fasting is amazing, but it is not a temper tantrum where I'm demanding God do things my way right away at Burger King, right? All right, let's move on. That was last week. So the first step to knowing and becoming that kind of a person, to, 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 to enter into that kind of a faith-filled prayer life is to know who God is. And more than that, 
No matter what, trust him implicitly. To the point where I say, God, no matter what, even if I feel like you are slaying me, yet I trust you. No matter what. That's the covenant kind of Christianity that Jesus has offered us into. Not the your way right away. Though I don't understand things. You're God, I'm not. I will lean and I will pray big prayers, but I will hold them all like this because you are God and I trust you no matter what. I refuse to fall on the floor and kick and scream and become a temper tantrum Christian. All right, so that's the first step to know knowing God. But, but, but I want to read Psalm 23 for us today. It's a great psalm. You just got to love Psalm 23. But this is our key text for today. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He forces me. <laughs> he makes me to lie down in still pastures. You got to love him. You have to understand, like, he's like, no, you're going to sit. No, I got to do. Some of us would do well just to understand that you're not God. You're not, you, you, can, you can let go. Some, the, the type A personalities, I have to do this and I have to do this. I got to make sure everything's done. God is saying to you, sometimes I want you to sit in the grass and let me be God for a while. He, lead, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. If you need your soul restored today, I just read you a word from the Lord and you can just receive that. He's your shepherd. He wants to restore your soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yay! Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. <laughs> He's a shepherd. He's trying to lead you with his rod and his staff, gently. And yes, sometimes it is to green pastures and still waters. Other times, church, he's saying, hey, let's go down this dark hallway. No, no, I'm not going. That, 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 come on. Do you trust me? Well, I trusted you in the grass, but that grass doesn't look green. Come on. I trusted you beside the still water, but that looks like a wave. I'm going to die. First, you have to understand, God will lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. He will also lead you besides, beside still waters. Part of the next step level of Christianity, of deeper prayers. It's easy, like maybe you came here on a Sunday and it, you're, you're in the, the point of your life where it's green pastures and still waters. The pastor gets up and he says, God is good. And you respond, all the time. And all the time, God is good. We got this, pastor. But maybe you came in and you, you're in the valley of the shadow of death and the pastor says, God is good. And I'm like, going to punch that guy in the face. Okay, the valley will show you your trust level in the shepherd, your faith. It doesn't take faith to say God is good by the still waters. It takes faith to say God is good in the valley of the shadow of death. It's a shadow. It's not real. Well, I know death is real. Death is a lie. 
but I know someone who died. That's the lie. You know someone who lived. You know someone who's still alive. Yeah, their body, their body passed away. But if you believe this, if you are a person who says, I believe in Jesus, I know there's a God, there's nobody who dies. Your your temporary vessel expires. That's why death is a shadow. It's a darkness. And what does darkness do? It it, it covers some things. It's, It's dark. Did you know there's still green grass in the valley of the shadow of death? There's still still waters there. You just have to reach out in faith to see them. Because you're in a shadow, you can't see it. So if you walk into the shadow, you're like, oh no, there's no God. Oh my. This is the test. This is the test. You here good. I got better stuff too. <laughs> Verse 5 says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Okay. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Where? In the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, fear no evil. He prepares a table. What? That means there's an abundance of food in the valley of the shadow of death. That means there is an abundance of supply. You've never met a time in your life where the supply wasn't overflowing. It just so happens when I'm sitting in the green grass by the waters, I can see it. But when I get into the valley of the shadow of death, I can, I can only grab it by faith. And only by faith can I please God. That's it. That's it. Do not pray like God isn't there with you. Okay, this is really important. Don't, you want your prayers to go next level? You want to you start seeing it? Stop praying like God is an email away or a text away, or a phone call away. You have to step into the the satisfaction and the the peace and the truth is he's never left you, he'll never forsake you, he's in the valley right along with you, and if my prayers go like this, and good, even Christians, oh God, would you deliver me from this situation? It's really bad. The situation hasn't changed. God, if you're there, I don't, I don't even know if you're there anymore, but you can deliver me from the situation. And then it becomes this, would somebody help me? Anybody out there? What have I done? I'm addressing God. Oh, I don't even know if he's there. Anybody. I'm sending out an SOS. I've just entered into not prayer. I've entered into a desperate cry for help from who knows where. I don't care where it comes from, any God, any, any person. I don't care what it is. I stopped praying in those moments. I'm not praying anymore because I'm not. I'm praying as if Jesus was not standing right next to me. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. Ever. It just, sometimes, sometimes it, you have to reach out in faith and believe it even when you don't feel it. You see, we have to get beyond what I call appetite prayers. So when I'm like, oh, what do I feel like praying today? What do I feel is the truth in the moment? I think a donut would be good. <laughs> right? 
I have to get, I have to get past my, my, my appetite prayers because, because if all I'm praying is what I feel in the moment, I, if I'm laying in the grass, I don't feel like praying. I'm like, oh, this is, everything's perfect. If I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm like, oh, is there even a God? We pray and we believe what the word says. That's what faith is. Regardless of the hallway, the valley, the grass, the shadow, we walk by faith, not by sight. And if you will hold on to that and pray as if Jesus really was there and not these appetite prayers. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21 talks about these appetite prayers. He says this, dear brothers, pattern your lives after mine and notice who else lives up to my example. For I have told you often before and I say it again now with tears in my eyes. There are many who walk along the Christian road who are really, listen, folks, this is in the scripture. There are many who attend church. There are many who even read their Bible. There are many who say prayers, and they're, they're walking the Christian road, but they are really enemies of the cross, of Christ. Their future is eternal loss. And why? For their God is their appetite. That's what it says. Their God is their appetite. They are proud of what they should be ashamed of. All they think about is this life here on earth. But our homeland is in heaven where our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is, and we are looking forward to his return from there. Their, their God is their appetite. What does that mean? I only pray when I feel like it. I only believe whenever the circumstance lines up. I, I, I only think about this earth and my time here. I don't live and believe as if there is an eternity, that my soul is eternal. My God is my appetite. Another appetite prayer. It's the opposite, but it's equally as bad. It's this. It's this Christian attitude. Que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Right? This is the attitude. I'm like, eh, God is sovereign. He'll do what he do. What am I doing? I'm acting and believing as if he's not right here with me entering into a conversation. Well, whatever it is, he'll do it. God is good. We are called to pray. We are asked, called to ask for anything. We are called to pray big, bold, amazing, faith-filled prayers and talk to Jesus at all times, no matter what's going on. There's no K Sarah. You see, Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, talks about those gods too. They call them, he calls them the gods of faith, fate and destiny. Well, if it's my destiny, this business endeavor will happen. If it's my fate, everything will work out. It says this in Isaiah chapter 65, but because of the, re the rest of you have forsaken the Lord and his temple and worship gods of fate and destiny, therefore I will destine you to the sword and your fate shall be a dark one. For when I called you didn't answer, when I spoke, you wouldn't listen. You deliberately sinned before my eyes, choosing to do what you know I despise. God is inviting you into a walk with him. A walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death, by the still waters. He's not asking you to just sit down in the valley of the shadow of death. We've got to know who he is, that he is always with us. He'll never leave us. Death is just a shadow that I have to lean in and believe in faith no matter what. 
If I, if I know who he is and lean in faith, my prayer life will open up. You notice where he says, I prepare a banquet before you, a table before you, in the presence of your enemies, in the valley of the shadow of death. He wants you to eat up. But you and I both know, when you're panicked, when you're scared to death, your appetite is gone. Okay? Am I right? When I'm scared, it doesn't matter how beautiful the burger, I just I couldn't possibly. Because I'm going to die, right? That's, that, that, that's what it is. So when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, the food is abundant. It just doesn't appeal to me at the moment because I'm scared to death because I don't really believe the shepherd's still with me. Because if I did, I'd eat the hamburger. The food is abundant. The food is plentiful. I have to reach out and eat it now in faith. Faith, faith. You have to believe and live and pray no matter what. Jesus is right there with me. And I'm telling you, it's a food truck because he's not asking you to sit down and then hang out in the valley of the shadow of death. He says, yay, though I, that's why it's a yay. It's yay, though I walk through it. Because I'm not going to set camp here. And too many of us set up camp in the valley of the shadow of death and believe the lie of death because we think that's our destiny. We're too scared to eat. You've got to keep eating or you can't make it through. You've got to keep going to the word and keep leaning in and speaking to the shepherd when I don't feel like it. That's when you need it the most. When you're sick, you've got to eat. Your body needs strength more than ever. He wants to take you through the valley. He's right there with you. The food is there. So we've got to reach out and know him by faith. And if I'll do that, my prayer life will completely change. I'll stop throwing temper tantrums. I'll stop demanding. I'll say, oh, he's with me. I'm going to just keep eating. I'm going to keep standing. I'm going to keep believing. We're going to go through this thing because he's never left me. So number one, know who God is, lean in, drink deep. And number two, this is, this is also very, very important. If you want to see your prayers take off next level, you have to know who you are. You have to know who you are in him. I gotta say that again, because it's not just know who you are. The new age theology, the new age, the new age is telling, oh, know thyself. You must know who you are. And no matter what you find is true. And no matter who you find, that's that this is the this is the lie of the day, all right? You do need to know you who you are. You absolutely do. That's true. But if you didn't know who, you didn't find out who you are in him, you will 100 percent of the time become the biggest jerk alive. You will. If I, know, if I find out who I am, but I've left God out of the picture, I will be a complete, you know what, a jerk. Right? Because I discover wonderful things about myself. And let me say this. If you find yourself, if you truly find who you are, you will be impressed. It's true. Because God doesn't make anything garbage. There are people that deny that Jesus even exists, and they're so impressed with themselves. Why? Because they're fearfully and wonderfully made. They're admiring the handiwork of God without acknowledging him. 
But what happens is you become a big jerk. Oh, I found out I am a Jeep Wrangler Rubicon Cherry Red. I'm a wonderful, wonderfully made. So get out of my way, right? And all you Prius drivers, I'm going to drive you right over. As I drive up the side of the tree, oh, bicycle. <laughs> go, go, go. <laughs> because Jeep's the best. I'm telling you, we, are, we, we ought to be impressed with who, who God made us. But if I don't know God first and I don't allow God into the equation, I'm a jerk because I think everybody should be a Jeep and everybody should drive a Jeep because they're the best, clearly. But I must know who he is because he asked me to lay my life down and prefer all the other vehicles over mine. Which doesn't make sense, but if I know God, I trust him. Okay, so I'll let them in traffic. <laughs> And the truth of the matter is, you may find you're a beautiful Jeep Wrangler, but without Christ Jesus, you've got no gas. You don't have a battery. And you're like this, come on, get going. Why doesn't everyone, it's everybody else's fault all of a sudden? Because clearly I'm wonderful. If you find yourself, and you should, but if you find it apart from Jesus, you will inevitably be a jerk. Listen, self-confidence is important. It's a beautiful thing. But without God, it's a, it's a ridiculous thing. And I'll tell you this, self-confidence, when I find myself, oh, I found out my purpose, this is who I am, all of those things. It's, but if I don't find it in Christ first, the second my Jeep enters into the valley of the shadow of death, ah, I freak out. Something's wrong, I'm going to die. Because self-confidence without God is the most hollow existence. And yes, you found beautiful things. You found who you are, giftings, talents, abilities. Beautiful. God made those in you. But without a deep trust and a faith in a God who loves and is and has called you and created you, that confidence disappears immediately in the valley. You walk down the hallways here at church in the daytime when everybody's here for Sunday school, no problem. But I'll tell you it's another story when I come here at night and I'm all by myself. This is the scariest church building on the earth. I better get my dog. I've done it, all right, folks? You see dog poo, it's probably my dog, all right? He doesn't do that, all right? He's a good dog. But the truth is, that's the test. And without God, I'll fail it every single time. Self-confidence without first God confidence is a hollow farce. And it looks like this, and I, I'm going to throw my kids under the bus again, because that's what pastors do. My, my poor daughter, Jilly, she's 11. She, she's not a poor daughter. She's easy. I mean, she's, she's a nice kid. But she gets her job every night before she goes to bed. She's the one who has to go out to the garage by herself and make sure the dog's door is closed and give him some water, turn the garage lights off, and then come into the house. Now, naturally, it's a scary experience, even for the oldest of us. But my son, Josiah, he understands that this is a fearful time for her. And there's, oftentimes he takes advantage of that moment. So if you'll show this video of, uh, of Jilly, it's hard to see, but you'll understand when you see it. He does not take after his father in any way. 
That, 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 that is what self-confidence apart from Christ looks like. Okay, I'm doing all right, I'm doing all right. Ah, it's done. The minute, the minute any adversity comes, it's over. I'm going to die. Now, just to be fair, I made sure Josiah got a taste of his own medicine. <laughs> Wait for it. I'm a great dad. This is Mother's Day. This is not what mothers would do, but it's what dads do. Listen, there is no true self-discovery without first God discovery. <laughs> Keep that image in your mind. If you found self-confidence and the valley of the shadow of death makes you, makes you freak out, you haven't truly first discovered who God is, and you're still relying on self-confidence, and that's your face the moment you walk through the valley. God is raising up children. He's raising up warriors who will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And you will, you will feel scared, but you will fear no evil because you'll know I've walked with him. He's with me. And no matter what, I implicitly trust in him. Even though I know who I am, I know who he is. And even though this situation isn't fitting me perfectly, I know my God. I know who I believed and I'm persuaded. That was yesterday's message. Sorry. Self-confidence, self-confidence without implicit faith in God is poverty. It is poverty. I told you the definition of poverty uh, last week. It's the state of being inferior in quality or insufficient in amount. So what the valley will do is show you if you're living in mental poverty and spiritual poverty. Do I believe my God is insufficient, inferior? Do I believe I'm insufficient and I'm inferior? Either of those things is a state of poverty, of identity, of who God is and who you are. I'm inviting you to the next level. I'm not asking you to feel the next level immediately. You've got to walk it and keep walking through. Otherwise, you will stay there and enjoy the pity party of the valley of the shadow of death. Because misery loves company, doesn't it? Misery loves company. God has called us all sorts of things. He tells us all these things in the Word, and I'm not making these up. He calls us a child of God in John 1. He calls us God's friend. You're his buddy. I can't approach God like that. Well, then you're approaching him wrong. There are times you, you approach like this. There are times you approach like, yeah, this. There. You, God is all of these things to you. He's your God. He's your Lord. He's your Father. He's your friend. First Corinthians tells you that you are a saint. You don't have to raise anyone from the dead. You don't have to turn water into wine. You don't got to wait till it, somebody stamps and says, yep, you made sainthood. No, you are a saint when you come to Jesus. That's your identity. God calls you that. You're chosen. You're holy. You're the righteousness of God. You're free. You're blameless. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heaven. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. I know, I understand that when you're, in, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't feel like you're seated in heavenly places. That's the mystery. I'm not asking you to feel it. I'm asking you to believe it. And if you will believe it, you will go next level. But, and you will get through the valley so much faster instead of sitting there in the mud. You see, when I understand who I am, royalty walks through dirt differently. And I'm not asking us, again, remember, I'm not asking us to be arrogant. 
I'm asking us to understand we are royalty. We are the royal priesthood. And if I, if I am royalty and I see a mud puddle that I have to walk through, I'm like, I don't belong in the mud puddle. That doesn't make any sense. I'm going to throw my cloak down and we're going to walk on top, over top of it. But I'm not going to stop there and be like, this is where I belong. That's what poverty does. That's what poverty prayer does. I, I guess it's inevitable. That's a poverty mentality. And misery loves company, right? We, we, will, we will plop ourselves down in the most atrocious situation. So-and-so said this about me. I know somebody said something about uh, uh, Bob, too. Bob, get over here. Bob, you know what so-and-so said about me? He's like, well, you only told me four other times, but tell me again. Yeah, well, they said this and this, and I feel like I was really betrayed. <gasps> and, you know, and, and, and the other miserable person does this to you. Oh, that's just the word. And that's it. If you're that person, if somebody comes to you with a problem, a difficulty, and all you can give them is, that's just the worst, you're doing them a gross disservice. Because they need to get through the valley of the shadow. And the more you pet that problem, the longer they sit in the mud. You can say, that is terrible. That is just the worst. Oh, you should forgive that person, though, so you can walk out into your freedom. You, you ought to lean into the word here. You see, we need to start. This is going to blow your minds. This will, this will change your life. If you will become a person in the valley of the shadow of death who will gather people around you who are not in the valley of the shadow of death, yeah. you will make it out a lot faster. Misery wants you to gather only the people that are just as miserable as you. But faith says, well, See, and misery also looks at somebody who, who has, who's up on the valley. Oh, they have everything and I don't have anything. That's poverty. Well, of course, they can do that because they were set up by their parents. I'm going to sit here in the mud where I belong. That's poverty. Christians, we, 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 are, we are a royal priesthood. And so here's what you do. You see that person who, who, who maybe they were given way more advantages of you. Hey, I want to hang out with you. Let's go to lunch. Because I guarantee you that person, when you start saying, well, life is hard, they'll be like, hey, life isn't that hard. And your temptation will be, well, it's because you got everything and I don't. Shut your mouth and say, okay, I'm not going to listen again to my feelings and the jealousy. How did you get to your situation? Listen, when when we lived in Chihuahua, we... We got paid beans and peanuts and a salary. But we, 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 this is our real belief. We, got, we did not get paid enough to afford a house. We did not have money for a down payment. And our belief was we could never own a home. It's expensive. Right? Sitting in the mud. And it was easy to find people who could agree with me. Well, you know... It's so expensive to live in Whatcom County. And the houses are just way too expensive. It's just, and we, we couldn't possibly even survive here. But I'll tell you a profound thing that happened. And, and, and I had to work through my emotions in it, okay? Because my brother, he, was able, he purchased a home in Spokane. And, and he was also a youth pastor at the time. And I remember going, and I, and I had all the excuses. Well, and my wife and I could rehearse them together. Well, they could do this because this happened. They had this advantage, and we don't have that. And all of it, you know, we, our emotions, we can come up with great reasons to sit in the mud. And I sat, we went over to their house, and, and, and he said, he had the nerve to say this to me. Hey, 
You guys should buy a house. How dare you? Like, I remember this sitting in their living room, and I said, and, and I wanted to scream at him, of course you could, you had all this, and this happened, and blah, 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 blah. but I, I held my tongue, and I, I did say, you know, I don't, we couldn't. Here's the reasons why, and he's like, no, you totally could. There's other programs available. There's things like this. And, and, and he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't teach me how to do it. But I walked away, and I, we, we went home, and I believed differently in my heart. There is a, maybe there is a way I could buy a home. So I called somebody else who had just purchased a home. See, these people weren't in the same mud pit as me. And so they're the ones I needed to be around at the moment. I didn't need to surround myself with other people that couldn't buy a house. And hear why I couldn't buy a house. I needed to be around the people that could buy a house and did buy a house and walked through it. And I called and I said, how did you do that? They're like, well, here's the guy I called and this is what he did. And I'm like, all right. So I made the phone call and three months later, we owned a home. Boom, that was mic drop right there. (laughs) Listen, I'm telling you, this isn't all about buying homes. You understand this is an analogy, but it proves true for every step of my life. How's this person? If all I'm going to do is surround misery around myself, I will never get through the valley of the shadow of death. I have to surround myself with people sitting in the grass. And i got to listen to them over my own brilliance and opinion. Because more often than not, because the people sitting in the grass, they're hearing the Lord's voice a lot more clearly. They've seen it. They understand where you've been or where you are. We can walk through the valley of the shadow of death much more quickly if we'll give up our poverty mentality and our poverty mindset and believe what God says no matter how I feel, no matter what I see, he's true. Let God be true, every man a liar. And so when I say don't pray your way to poverty, I mean it. Poverty says, oh, God, if anybody's out there, fate, destiny, whoever. Oh, God's going to do what he's going to do. No, he wants a relationship. He's never left you. And if you will buy in and lead, step in and believe in to that, you're going to see things open up in your life. New ways of thinking. We have to have our mind transformed constantly through the word of God. This is who you are. This is who God has asked you to be. And this is the walk. You see, it's a journey to walk. Walk by the still waters. Walk through the valley. Walk on the mountain. There's, and even then, it's not the end. I get to spend eternity in heaven with my Lord. This is a good, good life he's invited you on. Whether you feel it this moment or not. Because that's the truth. Let's pray. Father, We say amen to your word. First we say amen and we believe in faith who you are. We trust you. We again confess that we trust you implicitly no matter what. Father, I thank you for who you made each one of us, fearfully and wonderfully made. You designed us. You didn't make any mistakes. And Lord, we we are wonderfully made, but in you we find out why. In you, we find out the, the, the path and, and how to lay our lives down and trust you. And so we declare that we trust you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray a blessing on the mothers here today, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, that you would show them their identity. I pray that same thing for the rest of us, Lord. And Lord, as we lean into you, Lord, would we be people who walk by faith as you lead us 
the kind and compassionate, loving shepherd we trust in the name of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. 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 Listen, uh, I just want to say God bless you. If you have any, if you'd like to receive prayer for anything, we'll have people up here that would love to pray with you. Moms, listen up. We have uh, we have something for you on your way out. So if you will make sure not to miss out, we got folks that will hand you those things. I want you to go and have a blessed day. Remember, the food is always available whether you feel like eating it or not. So eat up. Enjoy your day. God bless. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you would like to partner with our ministry, please visit us at welcomenewlifeassembly.org. 